This is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. And today on Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about giants, the heavy hitters of Dungeons and Dragons. And we'll be wondering about what was their inspiration and how important are they? They're very important. And what's the best to use them in your D&D game? All that and more today on Wandering DMs on our episode about giants. Oh my goodness! This is this is fascinating, Dan. Because yeah. I, as I think about uh, playing giants in D anD D, I feel like they've always been present, but I never really played with them. Not until you ran the giant series uh, at uh, at conventions that we were going to, and I started playing those. Uh, is that I'm curious? Is that your first experience with giants in D anD D? Is the giant series, or did you use them before then? It's certainly the most prominent, right? It's certainly the most prominent, and I am so I'm so glad you brought that up, actually, because I love the you know Gygax's against the giant series, uh, you know, with the G coded modules in uh, the first edition mm-hmm. era. And uh, if if I'm if I'm not incorrect, I mean they were the first branded modules for Dungeons and Dragons, um, which is mm-hmm. a little bit counterintuitive because they're they're so high level, right? You would expect. Right. The first couple modules to be low level, but to my understanding, the very first published modules for D&D were those against the Giants. So I've said for, a, and I love them to death, and I've said well, for, on a number of occasions that I feel that those modules alone actually justify the whole Advanced D&D project. Like if Advanced D&D did nothing but support the Giants modules, I would I would consider uh, that a success, actually. They're so no, good. No, they, they might have been the first published by TSR, but of course they're not the first published... D&D modules ever, right? You have like the Wii Warriors stuff, uh, you know, the Palace of the Vampire Queen and such. Um, mm-hmm. But they, I suppose they're the first ones that TSR officially like pushed out, right? Is that is that the, am I getting that right? To my understanding, I think that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Certainly in, in the time when they had a, like a product list, those were the first, those were the, the first listed, um, pr- yeah. you know, adventure products from TSR, the, the makers of D&D, you're right. Yeah, you know, I wonder. I mean, this is, this is a huge tangent here, but I, I kind of wonder if um, it doesn't make sense that um, the, there are cases where, like in retrospect, you think if I was planning out the you know lifespan of modules for D and D, yes, that's not where I would start. But on the other hand, if you're imagining your company and you're like, you published rules for a game and and it didn't cross your mind that people were going to want modules, like it didn't even enter your head. And then you run some at a convention and they do really well. And you're like, well, we should just publish these things, right? Like that makes sense in that kind of organic growth mechanism. And, and frankly, I think it makes for a better product, right? Because you're publishing something that you know already that is being well received by its audience, right? It, people love this thing so much that they demanded that you publish it. So yeah, publish it. I think that's, I think that's a great analysis. And I, I, to my understanding, that's exactly what happened. 
Um, yeah. And you know, we, we've seen we've seen Gygax and I think Arneson on a number of occasions, like early on, like really resist the idea of publishing adventure modules as they wrote, "We will never do that. We'll not do that. We're not going to do more <laughs> imagination for you. You have all the tools you need." Um, and then, like you said, a couple other uh, people in the industry, including Janelle Jaquez, uh, started making money at it, and they were like, "Well." Well, all right. Uh, what do we have? What do we have on hand that we could possibly push out? And of course, yeah. you know, at least in Gygax's campaign, he'd had people level up through his Greyhawk Castle, and that's sort of the white whale that never we we still have never seen to date get published. Um, and so he was coming in with he, at that point he was making adventures and products for characters his his campaign and conventions that were presumably at a fairly advanced level at that point. Um, and I totally agree that having these things get play tested rigorously before getting published made them a much higher quality product. It makes sense, but that's not what we're here to talk about. I mean, well, I'm sure we could spend a whole hour talking about the uh, birth of module we publishing, could. but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but let's talk. Let's talk about and just the giant. and just the <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I got to say again, I love I love that series. I'll probably have to keep bringing it back because it's it's probably my favorite. One of my favorite adventure series. I'm so glad that I got you and our friends to play through it a couple times. And, you know, there are days when I'm like, you know what, if I was just a professional run the Giants adventure and just went around conventions and nothing but that for a career, I'd be pretty happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's they're such they're such a great opponent for PCs and D&D. All right, let me let me kick this off because uh, as uh, some some folks may or may not know, there's a little uh, pull the pull, I'm gonna pull the uh, give a peek behind the screen a little bit about how this show gets made. Uh, and when Dan and I prepare for wandering DMs, um, sometimes we we do our little oh, bits no. of research and we gather images or charts or whatever, and we chuck them in a shared folder on the web for like these are images we can we can throw up on screen while we're talking. And what strikes me as interesting is this piece of art that both you and I have two copies in our shared folder. So we both <laughs> selected the same artwork. We're like, this art needs to be up there. Uh, for those listening into the podcast and are going, what the hell is Paul talking about? This is the image from page X32 in the expert rule set of uh, the, the BX uh, basic expert line. Uh, and it is a, it came along with the stats for giant. The giant entry in X32 includes hill giant, stone giant, frost giant, fire giant, cloud giant, and storm giant. And this is a picture of all six of those giant types standing side by side. Dan, why'd you pick this picture? And and, and I, you know, I love a I love the picture, and of course, it's you know from 1981 by uh, James Diesel LaForce. Did I get that name right? Of course, I just know him by his signature Diesel. I think his full name's James LaForce. I think it's the okay. first time that um, it's the first time that anybody thought to display the different giant types standing shoulder to shoulder so you could see the size differential. And, hmm. you know, incredibly useful, incredibly useful because to begin with, you read it like, oh, well, they're all giants. And you don't realize the enormous difference between the hill giant on the, the far left there, who's actually carrying a bull under his shoulder like yeah. it's a football, right? And, and is already uh, supposed to be 12 feet tall versus the storm giant uh, in kind of the middle, the tallest one there, who's who's uh, over over double that. Um, and th basically that that idea has been recreated in pretty much a, every edition of D&D. Every edition of D&D since has, has kind of felt it necessary 
to show a size differential of the various giants or possibly other monster types. So I feel it was very influential, very useful, and also a great piece of art. Um, it, it is a great piece of art. Um, and frankly, I think it is incredibly important because this is a problem I've always had with giants in D&D, right? So much of D&D happens in your imagination. And when we describe giants, I have this uh, crazy set of influences in my head, and I'm never really sure how to scale things. And frankly, as much as I love this image, the thing that infuriates me about it is that there's no picture of a normal-sized person here, right? The, the only thing we really mm -hmm. have to scale mm -hmm. all of this is is the cow or the bull that's yep, being yep. held by the <laughs> by the by the hell giant. Uh, I have a more yeah. modern uh, image here. Maybe this is a little hard to see. Great. Um, Great. This is by an artist whose name I used to be able to read in the image, but now it's too tiny for me to see. Um, bear with me a second here as I dig up the artist's name. Um, I don't know if this is even in a D&D publication. I just found this on the internet uh, searching. This is by cool. Anders Johansson. Um, cool. And again, it's, it's, it's showing side by side all the different giant types. And then on the very far right, you can see a little silhouette of a normal-sized person. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is a thing I've always struggled with. And frankly, I blame Disney. Um, oh. You know, for my issues, because like, like you think of hill giants. Okay, hill giants are the weakest giant types. They're probably the first ones that are going to show up in your campaign. The players are fighting them, mm -hmm. and the question is like, how big are they? Can they lift up and and pick up a person? Can they stomp a person under their foot? Like, how? What's the size differential? Uh, the reason I blame Disney is, of course, like, okay, here's here's an image from uh, right. Jack and the Beanstalk, right? Where uh, I don't know, is that bigger than a storm giant? Maybe when you look at Mickey Mouse versus this. Uh, this giant who's who can like basically hold him in the palm of his hand. How big is this giant? I man? think so. Can you tell yeah, me? I think so. And you know, it, it's interesting because if you go into mythology, right, and you go into Greek or uh, Irish or whatever mythology, right, it's a, there's kind of a standard like explain a, a geographic feature, right, like a mountain or a, or a hill or or a huge river as. Uh, that was a, a, an ancient battle and the giant fell down and the, mo the mountain is the remnants of its body, right? Something that's going to be like a mile in size or, yeah. okay, I apologize everybody, but there's a, there's a classic thing in um, the, the Tarn, which is the Irish myth about Cullen, where uh, Maeve, the, uh, the giant queen, uh, needs to go relieve herself. And then that actually creates a giant river that cascades throughout all of Ireland. Um, and so those kinds of those kinds of mythological giants are, you know, enormous to an extent that they're not playable in the game, right? So to to a certain extent, D and D um, shrank them down to a size that's big, but uh, something that you can at least contend with. Whereas quite a lot of the time, I think giants before that were like, you know, bigger than a castle, bigger than a mountain was pretty common, and that's not something you can actually play with. Um, yeah. I mean, it, so, so and I'll come chat, back to that. Uh, and there's another reason too that I'll come back to later. In chat, Zip Zap Rap is asking how big is Mickey Mouse, but of course, I, I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that, like, the, in the fiction of this movie, Mickey Mouse is our stand-in for a normal-sized person, right? Um, and and in the in the in the animation, right, he's so tiny that he gets like lost up the giant sleeve, right? He's like he's an insect compared to the size of this giant. Is that a cloud giant? I think that's bigger than a cloud giant. If we go back to um, uh, to Anders Johansson's 
image comparison here and we look at yeah. the cloud giant yeah. versus the human, I'm, I'm thinking more of something almost King Kong sized, right? Where he, the giant can hold the person in his, in his fist and you would see like their arms and heads sticking out one ends and their feet sticking out the other, right? That's still like, right? Like as, okay, so as a kid, I'm immediately going to equate it to my toys, right? So that's like Barbie doll size, right? A human is about the size yeah. of a Barbie doll compared to a person as opposed to like, say, uh, I, I think he's even smaller than a GI Joe, and Mickey Mouse versus that cloud giant is probably like a like a a, a muscle man, if you remember the little pink muscle man. <laughs> Love muscle man. Love muscle man. <laughs> yeah, of course you're right. I think that um, I think that uh, Zip Zap Rap and uh, and Joshua are uh, pointing out, or uh, Joshua in the chat is pointing out that it's certainly themed like a cloud giant, right? Um, it lives in a floating castle up above, right? Which is a thing that uh, cloud giants in D and D. Uh, are known mm -hmm. for. So I think that at least the, the thematics match there, but you're totally right about the size. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Very it's, different. It's, it's fascinating. And then, and then where this comes up is if you look, you know, if you run those, those, those giants modules, right, you're still ultimately presented with the same kind of maps you were presented with in any D and D module, right? A, a square grid mm -hmm. map, right? And you just have to extrapolate the size difference yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's another, uh, uh, you know, common, I think I've seen more than one cartoon making fun of the fact in like classic D&D, &D, uh, you had a dungeon and any kind of monster was possible and you walk in a room and there's a giant in there. And the question is, well, how did they get in there? Because they can't move through the door and they can't, they might not be able to fit <laughs> through the hallway. How did, ex please right. explain how the giant came to live in this room that they can't get out of in the first place. So you have, you have right. all those kinds of situations. And, I, and I've run into that. I've made that, I've made that mistake honestly, uh, with, with a dungeon, my last campaign is I had, I did actually have corridors that were, that were arguably too narrow for this monster type to get through. And I'm like, eh, yeah, I guess I have to fix that actually. Sorry. <laughs> how do you feel as me, you and, run the giants modules? Like, how do you feel the maps and the text do at, at preparing you as DM to describe the size differences? Well, I think they I think they do a very good job. I feel like I have, get the flavor from that very well. They do make them bigger. Uh, so the corridors are all 20 or 30 or even 40 feet wide in places, uh, which makes sense. They do actually describe these enormous, you know, bigger than normal doors that you have to open and have mechanics that make that more difficult and stuff like that, which makes sense. The artwork supports that. So you have these great images. I don't know if you want to pull up an image or two from the cover of um, the the Giants series, but you have <clears throat> pictures inside of characters, you know, struggling to open a, a, a door that's so much larger than them, or hiding under a table, um, uh, or you know, uh, disappearing into a bed or something like that. So that's the cover. So we're looking at the cover of the first uh, Giants module against the uh, the uh, steading of the Hill Giant Chief, and you can mm -hmm. see mm -hmm. someone's about to be crushed by a drinking cup. Right, they're they're barely standing to the height of the table of the Hill Giant Chief. Uh, the thief is crawling, you know, managing to with difficulty crawl up onto the table to get at the at uh, Nosner's back there. Yeah, yep. and and but that's very consistent. Like talking about yeah. But, it, but at this point, I mean, hill giants, right? What are they? They're 12, 14 feet tall? Should be 12. 12 feet tall. 12 yeah. feet tall. So, so yeah, they're only about twice the size of a man, right? So they're, you're, you're looking at 
you know, it's a huge difference from the from the like size of a mountain type thing, right? Like, like yeah, I, I'm looking at this picture and like yeah, it took some effort for the thief to climb up that table, but it doesn't look impossible to me, right? Like mm -hmm. the fighter, his head is about a table height. Yeah, yep. yeah, that seems reasonable. Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ahead here, and, and here's um. So this is a cover uh, to uh, the yeah. second module there, Glacial Rift of the Frost Giant Jarl. And so uh, frost giants are bigger, right? They're like about 18 feet, if I recall correctly. And so here they're fighting outside and the fighter now barely comes up to the shin, uh, the shin yep. guard of that giant there. Um, and they're, it's clearly a much different scale. And the, the boulders that they're picking up to drop on them are about the same size as the people. So that's going to hurt. Yep. I love that art. That I that is one of my favorite. Actually, you know what? I at the moment I'm using that art for the thumbnail to this episode on YouTube. As a matter of fact, and great. you know, great great art by uh, Dave Trampier there, um, and he re he really went to town with his with his uh, giant artwork. The artwork in, in for the first edition Monster Manual for Giants is all by Trampier. So I think that he really loved this Absolutely. subject, and it's some of my favorite art from him. Now, now, a lot of that artwork, I'm looking at it here, I, I'm just going to uh, skim through it really quickly. Um, a lot of it doesn't give stuff for size comparison, right? Here we have our cloud giant, mm -hmm. uh, our fire mm -hmm. giant, uh, I think this is the frost giant, right? They just, I mean, this could be a dwarf. I, I don't know. I've got nothing here to scale. You're right. This, this, You're right. This thing. The, the only thing really that gives you a scale here is the hill giant, maybe? He's got a mm -hmm. tree next to him, and there's some birds. I mm -hmm. guess he's pretty big, yeah. I guess. You're right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where by that it's, point, you have to read it in the text. They hadn't thought yeah. to make a comparative picture to display that. Yeah. Totally. Anyway, that's 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 always been my struggle with giants in D&D is just trying to visualize what what is, especially when you get into the space, right? Like when you're talking about having an adventure based around the location where a giant lives, what does that look like, right? How How big is the... How big is the furniture? And is it just like normal furniture scaled up, right? Like, if so, like, where did they get yeah. planks of wood that big, right? <laughs> or is it a little more Good hodgepodge because they had to build it out of different kinds of materials? Good point. Good point. I, I mean, I do like, I think that the artwork in the, it, the the interior artwork of Against the Giants does a really good job and really, I, I personally find it very believable that you've got uh, uh, if I recall correctly, the the legs of, of chairs are entire tree trunks, right? Yeah. They do a pretty yeah. good job about, like, you know, the doors now, they're not planks. They're entire tree trunks bound together. Um, <laughs> and I, I personally find that pretty convincing that somebody thought that through pretty well. Now, I will, okay, I should point this out, right? If you're going to yeah. use giants in classic D&D, and particularly if you're going to run the Against the Giants series, uh, my highest recommendation is you should definitely read for source material. You should definitely read uh, the short story, The Roaring Trumpet by L. Sprague de Camp and Fletcher Pratt. And, you know, that uh, stars uh, their character, Harold Shea. Uh, that's included in the Incomplete Enchanter volumes. I have it personally. I have it here in uh, a volume called The Mathematics of Magic, which, of course, I could not avoid picking up. <laughs> and the, the cover, right, it has, it has a whole bunch of short stories in here, but the first story, I think probably the best, and the one that's on the cover is this roaring trumpet story in which Harold Shea and friends fall, in, fall by accident into Norse mythology, meet Thor and Loki, and have to go on an adventure against the giants. And you know what? The first place they go to is a big wooden steading, 
And oh, fascinating. the last place they go to is a, a, com a complex of lava-filled caves ruled by a fire giant king that has a bunch of trolls for uh, helpers. And more or less the layout, the layout of the whole series of Against the Giants basically comes right out of this story. And what the giants look like and what the hall looks like and what their servants look like are basically all right out of here. So but if you're going to run against the giants, I highly, highly recommend that you read The Roaring Trumpet and you're going to totally see what Gygax had the, the really good taste to just lift wholesale. <laughs> wow. Well, I had no idea. Yeah. I'd never heard of that story. I had no clue that, it, I mean... Did you? So I assume you read that well before you had to run the. Like, I guess, which came first for you, Dan? <laughs> did you did you run the, the modules or did you read the story first? You you know me, Paul. I don't know anything that I didn't first learn from D and D, right? Gotcha. All, all my other learning comes comes later. So, and, and I'm actually embarrassed to, to say how late it was. It was just a couple of years ago that I that I I finally got this and 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 read it. I didn't realize how incredibly influential it was, even though you know it's in mm -hmm. Appendix N. It's yep. totally one yep. of the highlights of Gygax's Appendix N. I just read that a couple of years ago. And yeah, I wish that, see, this is why I want to go run against the Giants again, because now I feel like I have a deeper respect for the texture and the motivation for it. Uh, and I, I, I'm embarrassed to say how recently I discovered that. Hmm. Hmm. Well, adding that one to my reading list. Thank you for that. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. You'll be, you'll be really surprised. I mean, for me, you'll be really surprised. Like, oh, geez, that's where that came from. Oh, my goodness. A lot of the a lot of the really specific details come right out of there. Well, I'll admit, actually, I have still as of yet to even read the uh, the G series modules. Um, have them, own them. Uh, I avoided reading them because for a while there, you were running them, and I didn't want to spoil it for myself. Um, and I just I have yet to go back and go. Oh, you know what? I really should read these now. Um, and I'm sure once I do, then I'll immediately want to run them. And who the heck am I going to run them for that you haven't already run them for? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, as usual. <laughs> so, so okay. So let's let's get into like like what about running them as a monster in D and D? What uh, any any advice, Dan? Any any things that you learned the hard way by uh, running those modules that that wouldn't have come to mind? Well, I think they're a great, right? I think they're a, a, a wonderful solution to like the high level D and D problem of like, well, what are your what your players are so powerful? What do they do now? Is it's it's like just an, a terribly elegant solution of like now it's giants, and you mm -hmm. know they have mythological status, which I feel is important. So they're not just made up nonsense. Every culture on Earth has some kind of mythology about giants, so it's something that's. Uh, you know, part of our, uh, you know, cultural subconscious. Um, mm -hmm. They're legitimately, frankly, any size you want, as you could see in the picture from Expert, right? You, you want them 12 feet, 18 feet, how many hit dice? You just, as much as you want, frankly, just tack more on. And they're clearly intelligent, right? They're, 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 they're scaled up uh, mm -hmm. people, basically. So they're going to have a language and they're going to have a culture. And you can talk about... Where did they get the armor? How did they forge the swords? Where are they going to live? Where do they get? Where do they eat? That seems to be a problem. And you have you have all this. They can talk to you, and you can negotiate, and you can parlay with them. In addition, to just fighting with them. So it provides like a really well-rounded, you know, frankly, foreign culture 
that you're in conflict with for high level D&D. And it's like among the richest kinds of monsters you can possibly use to build out your campaign, I think. Hmm. Hmm. Nice. Nice. You know, and your comment about like, well, how, did they, how, what, how do they construct their furniture? I mean, frankly, that's kind of an interesting thing to dig into. How do they construct their furniture and what do they build it out of? And, and that's all, you know, those details are all given in, the, in you know, Gygax's yeah. series. And where do they live? And they live in a, they have to live, you know, near the woods because they need a lot of big lumber and the woods are wet and it's damp all the time. And that's why your fireballs don't work. And I'm like, I love those details. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, I like that the giants have this very different um, sort of cultural reference, right? If you look across the different kinds of giants, your, your hill giants are almost Neanderthal-like, right? They're, they're brutish, right? They, they wear, uh, they're always depicted wearing, uh, you know, scraps of, of, of whatever, you know, whatever they could get their hands on, you know, they're hairy, they're, they're, they're just big, big dumb brutes. As opposed to like you jump to say your your cloud giants, you know who live in palaces up in the clouds where like now it's just pure fantasy land, right? Like of like you know, they're just bigger people who live in this different space than us, and they, yeah. you know, like it's almost important to me that they got there up in the clouds, so we don't have to explain. Well, how did these live near people, and how is that not an issue? They're they're not. They're separated completely from us by this uh, right. you know vertical distance in the sky. Uh, now we can have this strange. Right, and then you have like I don't know, like your frost giants are very Nordic, and I, I find that very fascinating. Right, these these different. Uh, I guess I don't know yeah. exactly. I mean, I'm making guesses based on the artwork, but uh, I don't know totally where each of the giant types were lifted from. But it definitely feels like this I interesting collage of different cultural references. Right. Yeah. Totally. And I got to point out this particular uh, piece of art here by uh, uh, David Trampier for the Cloud Giant. Someone has pulled up. There's a specific historical artwork reference. There's some prior piece of art that he. This is a clear homage to. Uh, and I don't know mm -hmm. if one of our viewers can can find that live during the show. I couldn't find that this morning. But someone's pointed out that there's a a very clear you know cultural you know tradition of, you know, portraying mythological creatures like giants. And Trampier was clearly looking at that stuff and clearly researching it very heavily because that is very close to a duplicate of some prior piece of art. I mean, even even if you jump here back to the the, the expert set, right, the, the, one of the things that jumps out at me here is the cloud giant in this one, I'm assuming is the one on the far right looks sort of like yeah. the most normal fantasy of any of them, right? He's wearing a robe. He's got a, yeah. like a staff fish looking thing. It's very civilized as yeah. opposed to yeah. say, um, I don't know on the, let's say I'm, I'm guessing uh, in the far left, is that a uh, stone giant? What, what am I looking at? There's a hill uh, giant. Far right, the bald, the bald one on the right is, would be the stone giant. That's the stone giant. Who's the one on the far left holding his hand up? Like, uh, which giant is he? That would be a frost giant. Yeah, that would be That's one a of the frost, frost giants. Giant. Uh, you know, has a big, you know, woolen cloak right there to kind of portray yep. that he's yep. living in a Arctic place. Right, right. And so you, um, you just get a very Nordic vibe off of him, right? Like he's, you right. know, I guess maybe it's the right. fur or the long hair and the beard, but it's... Uh, yeah, it's fascinating. I think it's, um, you know, you know as, so as opposed uh, to the fire giant in the middle there, who's kind of got this kind of Byzantine mm -hmm. thing going on. 
Fascinating. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, a couple of minutes back, uh, John Thomas Kayser in the chat said second edition gives exact heights in the monster manual. And that was, and of course you're right. Uh, and that, that actually was something that was in uh, every single edition. So um, I don't know if you want to pull up the chart actually that I pulled out of original edition for, uh, there you go. So original D&D in 74, Basically, this is this is all the information about giants that you need in this one little convenient table. And uh, weren't the rules inc so incredibly uh, short and efficient? And so you get initially the five different types of giants. Storm giants hadn't been included yet, actually. Um, Hillstone, Frost, Fire, Cloud. And you notice that their hit dice just go up by one each time, which a lot of monster families in original D&D were like that. So the hit dice go 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and there's your five different types of giants. And then they tell you where their lay lair is, either cave for the kind of primitives, like Paul was pointing out, hill or stone, or castle for the other types. And then the next thing that seems to be important is their size, sure. 12, 15, 18, yep. uh, 12, 20 feet, and then kind of increasing damage. So... Initially, you know, all your player characters just rolled one d6 for damage, and the main interesting thing about giants is they roll two. They roll two dice for their damage. Now, do you see any? Also, do, also do you see any kind of me, outlier? Yeah. Okay. Here's here's the. the I, I've not looked at this chart before. Real not not closely. Mm -hmm. So here's a couple of things that jump out at me. One is that the sizes have changed. They're different. They have right in mm -hmm. in, have. in my BX. Book fire giants are 16 feet tall, not 12 feet tall. So that's mm -hmm. interesting that they adjusted mm -hmm. that. Interesting that storm giants are missing because my immediate reaction to that is I always assume that storm giants are a direct reference to the bit in um, in the Hobbit, right? Where they're where mm -hmm. where Tolkien has them walking through the through the mountains and there's a storm going on and there's some mention of like the giants are throwing boulders or something and so they they go hide in the cave and they get assaulted by the goblins and so. I don't know. Are we were storm giants always missing, or were they removed because the Tolkien estate thing? Uh, they weren't in the Roaring Trumpet. There you go. Okay. Hill giants were, fire giants were, frost giants were, but storm giants weren't in this story. And it seems it, it, it's now it seems like a really obvious um, uh, oversight, right? Which I totally agree with. But it, since it's not here, it's not there. That's why. Nice. Here's here's my favorite comment uh, uh, from from Joshua. I'm going to put this up here. Uh, cloud giants able to smell the blood of an Englishman. It actually says keen sense of smell right there next to cloud giant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> really, when it's referencing, yeah. that's hilarious. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is absolutely. crazy. See, I personally, I personally, I I find D and D to be the best when it references something else. Right when D and D yeah. is only talking, of, is only self-referencing, and has monsters that were only made up for D and D, and starts self-referencing. That for me, that seems less interesting. And when it when D and D is referencing or simulating outside cultural influences, to me, that seems the most deep and the most interesting. So I get, I totally, I totally get thrilled by that, by that kind of that kind of reference. That's totally what that is. Awesome. <laughs> All right, you you asked me what what jumps out as as being incongruous and the, like the most. The yeah. interesting thing is why are fire giants so small? Like shouldn't Yeah. That's that's what jumps out at me. Why aren't they bigger than a frost giant and smaller than a cloud giant? And yeah. what's what's so your take? So clearly on they're that? tougher. Right? So yeah. clearly fire giants are tougher than than stone or frost giants, but if you look at those comparative illustrations, 
um, fire giants are clearly portrayed much smaller than frost giants. And personally, I think that's a mistake in the art, right? Um, so you see that here, the, the two ones in the middle, right? Frost giants, fire mm -hmm. giants, and fire giants are much smaller. Here they look much smaller, right? They, that, that doesn't look like that would be a fair fight between the frost or fire giants at all. And so um, the, so I would take a stab at saying that the inspiration for fire giants are largely from the Greek mythological figure of Hephaestus, right? So Hephaestus is the, the Greek god of manufacturing, and he's portrayed as he, he makes all the stuff, he makes the, the, the great armor and weapons, and mm -hmm. fire giants in D&D are known for that. Uh, when you're working through the uh, Hall of the Fire Giant King, they specifically detail the armory and the smiths and how the weapons are getting manufactured and all that kind of stuff. And Hephaestus is de depicted in Greek mythology as being bent over, right? He's very strong and he has cyclopes for his assistants. And, um, but he's, he's bent over at his forge and I think that even even beyond uh, Hephaestus, there's a tradition of seeing uh, uh, ancient smiths as being bent over and potentially hobbled or even crippled because of their work being bent over, possibly being poisoned by the chemicals they have to use, like mercury. And so personally, in my games, right, in my games, um, I, I conceive of fire giants as dwarf stature giants. Right, they're they're mm. burlier, they're thicker, they're stronger than the other types of giants, and they're kind of bent over because they live in a place of like bad fumes and chemicals, and they're doing all the smith work all the time. So for me, mm. um, that's the one thing in that artwork I would have recommended an edit is I would have made them burlier, even if they're shorter than the other types to display that because I think that's where the motivation comes from. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Fascinating. Someone tell me if I'm crazy about that, but that's yeah. been my reading of, of why that makes sense for fire giants to be tougher, but depicted as shorter uh, in since the since the first days of D and D. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that they would be dwarf like. I mean, that's you know that 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 that's mything link. Um, yeah, fascinating, and certainly the artwork here from against the fire giants works with that. Uh, I'm also noticing here in this artwork that we've got an Etten. We haven't talked about that, Dan. Where, where do things like ogres and Ettens fit into the scale of giants? Good point. Uh, so ogres are about half the size of a hill giant, right? Um, so at least traditionally, hill giants are 12 hit dice. Sorry, hill giants are eight hit dice and ogres are four hit dice. So they're half the hit dice and they're halfway between men and giants. So if men are about six feet, ogres are supposed to be nine feet, and hill giants are supposed to be 12 feet initially. I don't have my um, my base or my original D&D books here at hand immediately. I'm sure you do. Um, isn't there something in a chart somewhere that maybe suggests that, all, that, that, that giants is a... Is a umbrella category of monster and that there are some monsters under that category that you wouldn't necessarily think of as giants. I'm glad you asked Paul because I put that in yeah. the image folder. So the I, I snipped out so one of my other tables there I snipped out the top of the monster list. Right? So here <laughs> here is the beginning of the monster list in original D&D in 1974 um, and it goes on for another page past this, but the first couple of monsters 
are men, goblins, orcs, hobgoblins, ogres, trolls, and giants. And then after that, they start to do undead type stuff. So mm -hmm. nowadays, right, what would what would you think to use for the the categorical term for goblins and orcs and hobgoblins and ogres and trolls? What would you generally want to use for that family? I feel like the word that's used these days is humanoid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, that uh, started being used in first edition, but mm -hmm. they hadn't invented it yet at this point. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the term, so the, the term that predates humanoid is they called everything at the start of this list, the giant class, Interesting. giant class yep. monsters. And of course, right. if you played a ranger, you know that you got a bon a big bonus to damage against anything in the giant class. And that's interesting. I mean, so, you know, so they're, so clearly they're stumbling towards a term of art that they needed to refer to things that looked like humans in different sizes. Right. So, Mm -hmm. They were stumbling towards this term humanoid they hadn't hit yet. Giant class. So that's kind of interesting because if you really, if you want to dig into that to your campaign, you can think, are all the other humanoids basically like some kind of degenerate or part of the family tree that started with giants? Um, is possibly yeah. an interesting thing to dig into. That sort of has a mythological flavor, right? Of the, the Norse gods were, you know, were started from, and same for Greeks and Romans, were started from a family tree of giants and titans. And they had children and they had children and they kind of reduced in size and overthrew their parents. And maybe that's an interesting cosmic campaign element to work in that initially there were giants and everything else is descended from them in the family tree. Maybe that was what they were thinking yeah. about a little bit. It's it's fascinating because of course, when you think of the physical characteristics of some of these monsters, it, it, it is surprising to think of them as related. When you've got your 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 mm -hmm. your pig-faced orcs, you've got your your lizard dog kobolds, and your green rubbery skin trolls, and you're and you're telling me all these things are related somehow. That seems weird. Well, those details were it came later, right? Uh, those those details mm -hmm. weren't in the text for original D and D. So I think that over time they've you know made more of an attempt to uh, distinguish them, right? And when we talk to someone like uh, Keith Amon, for example, right, the author of The Monsters Know What They're Doing, he, even though he played for a sedition, he, he's, he's a lot happier, actually, with more recent editions of D&D that give them more specific abilities and powers that distinguish how they're going to act. Because admittedly, in original D&D, they really just, the only thing that differ, they differed in were the number of hit dice. And they yep. either had one or one plus one or two or four or six or eight hit dice, and that was basically it. So at least in the text of original D and D, you might have possibly could have could have read that a whole different way. Interesting, interesting. Now, now I'm wondering, like, what is the origin of these these visual hallmarks? Of course, as as old school fans, we are delighted every time we see orcs referenced as pig faced, right? Because that feels very classic, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, I, I think I saw you get all excited uh, in your play of Pool of Radiance, seeing the pig faced orc artwork, and I, uh, there's a I, there's a, a totally... lot of miniatures that makes pig faced yep. orcs. Um, you know, I totally right. used that for the thumbnail for my for last Thursday's show, actually, because I was so excited about the pig faced orc. I actually have that on YouTube as a thumbnail right now. Totally. And, and frankly, I I like I guess I would blame I would blame the Lord of the Rings movies for moving us away from that. Right. I feel like that's maybe when yeah. orcs started to become less pig faced. But uh, uh, when did they even become pig faced? Is that is that are they ever mentioned in any of the text as looking as having pig faces or is it just well, a, the, like, art, the, the arts the art went that direction yeah, and 
people were like just glommed onto it. Yeah, great, pig faced. I think so. I think the art in first edition came out. Uh, the, the art in first edition has pig faced orcs, um, which probably started that. Now I saw uh, a couple months back someone was pointing to you know it's funny you brought up Disney before was pointing to Disney art as um, the the instigator of that, actually. And what am I thinking of? There's some um, there's some Disney movie that just has, like, a whole bunch of, like, animalistic kind of henchmen of somebody. What am I thinking of now? Um, and, you know, one of them happens, and there's a, you know, bird henchman, and there's a something else henchman, and then one of them happens to be pig-faced. And... Um, a couple, a couple people. In fact, actually, an ex-Disney artist actually pointed to that as quite likely the instigator of pig-faced orcs in D and D. Um, so I, I, I have a weird fondness for that because you know I, I raised pigs. <laughs> I raised <laughs> pigs on the farm growing up, actually. So I have this weird fondness for um, pig-faced orcs as a as an enemy in my in my games. Uh, thank you. Disparal, right, I'll put this up. Uh, Disparal's got it, of course. Um, it's Sleeping Beauty, Maleficent's minions are a bunch of animalistic, uh, animal-headed henchmen, and one of them's pig-faced. Um, thank you for I mean, that, Disparal. I like it, I like it just because I do like the, I like it when the monsters are, uh, unique and identifiable and monstrous, frankly, like like having animalistic characteristics, whether it's you know pig-faced orcs or you know uh, lizard-like kobolds who have voices that sound like yapping dogs. That's just distinctive. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I've yep. always enjoyed and those. I, I and like... It's fascinating that they that these things kind of morphed over time. And totally. I don't know. Totally. I mean, you know, you can go either way. I mean, I actually kind of like that, you know, original D&D is like, you know, these myths, right? You've already, presumably, you've already read some stories and you have some ideas. We're basically just going to give you statistics, right? Here's mm-hmm. some, here's some mm-hmm. numbers to quantify what these things can look like in the game. And you bring your your skinning that you from outside sources and you, you do that when you're DMing it. And, you know, over time... Uh, you know, maybe you want some more specificity. Maybe some players want some more specificity of what they look like. And there's an interest on D&D's end to make them, you know, more specifically marketable product. Um, so you get that that evolution over time. I mean, to bring it back to Giants, I mean, I feel it's interesting that that was kind of the first thing, right? That's the first thing in the list are what we would call humanoids or the giant types were the very first section of monsters that they could possibly think of, um, which is kind of interesting. And let me okay, let me point this out. And I'm going back to the size issue about like why are giants in D and D this particular size? I don't have an image of it, but there's a there's a very early article uh, by Gygax that was published in Wargamer's newsletter. And so this was partly they're promoting the chainmail product, right, that, that predated D&D. So this is like 1972 or something like that. And to promote that, Gygax writes this article called Fantasy Battles. And, he's, and he actually starts off by apologizing and saying, like, Tolkien purists might not lo- like what I'm doing with this, is the first thing he says. But I hmm. am running some fantasy battles in the style of Tolkien, um, and it works pretty well. And the main thing that he's talking about is what scale of miniatures should you use? 
right? That's what he really that's what he really digs into is like what scale of miniatures? Well, I have a whole lot of pre-existing 40 millimeter 40 millimeter miniatures, so I'm gonna use those for the men. Ogres and trolls, I went and just used a different scale of miniature for those. Right? I used 50 millimeter miniatures okay. and and for giants right i went and used this the 70 millimeter line and i just i just bought a couple of extra 70 millimeter miniatures threw them on my table and those are the giants so um i think that the sizes of the giants in DD might just be the scaling <laughs> of the miniatures that gygax had on the table initially fascinating fascinating right and it's yeah. also interesting that like if you want to bring a fantasy element into your game, like the very first fantasy element of the game, just get a different scale miniature. <laughs> you don't you don't need to go out and find dragons or serpents or anything crazy stuff like that that didn't exist at the time. Just use a different scale of miniature and bam, you've got fantastic giants. Of course that's the first monster in the game. Because <laughs> it's the easiest miniature to get. Right, yeah. and the sizes yep. Yep. of the giants are just whatever the size of the miniature is, with, res with related to what your original miniature was. Right, if yep. if I have forty yep. millimeter men and I have seventy millimeter giants, well, that's about double, and that's why hill giants are twelve feet tall. <laughs> Fascinating. Fascinating. Of course. Yep. 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 All right, Dan. Uh, we have uh, 15 minutes here. I do want to dig in a little bit into running running giants because the thing that I remember most, and I'm very curious if this is if the text prompted you to this or this is just your own interpretation. My my one of my strongest memories of playing the against the giants series with you is when we first played the fire giants module, and our party went in and just got like badly. It was a near TPK, I think, is what happened. And we had to actually like retreat and come back. Mm -hmm. And when we did, I think, um, I don't know if it's because we had killed a bunch of the giants or just where we had gone in, but we end up in an area where a lot of the uh, women are. And the tactic they end up using on us is to take a sack and scoop us up in a sack and try to just nail us against the, just swing us against the wall to, to, to paddle us. And I was like, well, yes, that makes sense. Like, that's uh, horrific. But, like, yeah, if I was facing somebody who was much smaller and this, oh, I got this bag, I guess <laughs> scoop them up in a bag and swing them against the wall. That'll get rid of them. Like, Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know, like I could imagine a medieval housewife being like, oh, there are rats. Mm, scoop them up in a bag. And... Right? <laughs> like, right? That seems a reasonable right, way to get rid of the vermin that are that have suddenly appeared in your doorway. Uh, um, was, that, was that interpretation? Was that in the book? Where'd you come up with that? Yeah, that was me in desperation, trying trying to fend you guys off. Honestly, I'm so glad that made an impact because I did I did make that up. I did make that up uh, on the fly, and so that was a situation where um, you were going in for the second time, right? You'd gone in, and, yeah. and Hall of Fire Giant King is again like the most just mechanically brutal uh, beatdown of any adventure in in classic D and D. It's it's completely brutal, and so you guys went in got hammered pretty hard, uh, wisely retreated, recuperated, came back in. And the module does say, now remember that the giants are being directed by superhuman intelligence, 
So in the bowels of the dungeon, there's a secret monster that you've never known of before and hasn't been overused yet um, that's giving them super intelligent plotting planning from the Underdark. And so if your characters do come in, make sure that the giants have very clever strategies to fend them off. And I'm like, okay, now, thank you. Thank you, Gary. Now, what do I do with that? And so I think I actually, when we were playing, and it's funny because you, me, and and our friend Max all have a habit of like, the players just blew up my scenario and I need to walk out for a couple minutes. Because I actually walked into the kitchen where we were playing for about 10 minutes. And I, was, I actually just thought, what am I going to do about this? And it might have been that I was in the kitchen uh, and thinking about like, what would I do if there were rodents running around? Might possibly have popped that into my head. But that was that actually was totally improvised. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad it made a big impact on yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was it was great. It was great. Uh, a hard thing, and to that's a kind of thing you, you, in D and D rules. Yeah, I had to write. You know, you had to make it up. Had to make up something reasonable. But it's not. You know, that's a piece of flavor that you're not going to get from a giant serpent or you know, like a a ghost or or a mind flare or so you you wouldn't expect you wouldn't expect this kind of like yeah, that makes sense, right? That's crazy, and I hadn't foreseen it, but it also kind of makes sense aspect that you get from, you know, someone that's basically a giant evil person. Yep, yep. <laughs> right. That's amazing. Any any, any other uh, tactics or, or, or advice for, for running giants that, that, you, uh, that you hit during running those, those games? Well, that's interesting. Um, that's interesting. They're 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 really tough. <laughs> they're really tough. So you know, as, as we said, you know, really um, hyping up, you know, the difficulty of just getting through a door, just getting through a door. It's like the door weighs half a ton, and that's a problem just getting through. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, all those flavor elements about the implements are huge. The, you know, their fort is the size of your body. Um, even a piece of cloth is heavy, right? So those kinds of those kinds of flavor elements really make for I think a really novel challenge. Just even getting through the space uh, before we even see the giants is is I think is I think critical. Um, yeah. <laughs> Have you used giants in outside of those modules? Well, that's a really interesting question. Uh, you know, they're on the standard encounter lists, so I've had them show up in the wilderness. is totally fair game. Yep. Um, you know, I tend to have a couple layers of maybe five or six rooms connected together. It, it's interesting that uh, you know, like the last in my last campaign, I had, I think the characters were only like second level, and they're in an they're in an outdoor location, and a single hill giant shows up. And honestly, my instinct was, oh, they're going to get a terrible beatdown from the Hill Giant. And they finished it off very quickly. They actually finished the Hill Giant off very quickly, which was a little bit startling to me, actually. It was like maybe five second-level PCs. But it, it did bring back to mind that um, on, and I have an analysis on my blog from some years ago, is that I got to admit, you know, if you if you what would you rather have in a fight? Would you rather have an eight hit die giant that that gets one attack per round, or would you rather have eight orcs that get eight attacks per round? Uh, same mm-hmm. number of hit mm-hmm. dice, 
but mm -hmm. the number of attacks doesn't match the bolstered number of hit dice. So particularly when the numbers when the numbers don't work, there, there's there's this uh, st strategic deflationary aspect to hit dice. Actually, is that higher hit dice don't act double the hit dice doesn't actually get you double the staying power in D and D, which is a little bit counterintuitive. Um, but that that came to mind, and, and it's a classic thing in like war games of like if you have one giant warship, it actually doesn't have the staying capacity that it would from a whole lot of little fighters that you have to hit separately. So that's a thing to keep in mind. Like one giant isn't, you know, it's a classic action economy issue in D&D. One giant doesn't actually have a whole lot of staying power. But you, when, when you bring in a whole tribe or a whole legion of giants, that's a different situation. So you probably want a couple. I would say there was, um, yeah, I feel like that's a, there's a, there's a, the, 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 that kind of playing with the action economy strikes me as really interesting. And I feel like there's some classic I'm trying to remember what the heck the name of it was. There was a, a box set, an AD and D box set that where the, the gist was much of it, it was a high level campaign, but most of it was facing off against kobolds, but just huge amounts of very intelligent kobolds who use their ability to, you know, to outnumber you so ridiculously to do very interesting and very painful things to your party. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, there's a very, there's a, there's a long, you know, uh, uh, there's a very famous uh, example, I think from Dragon Magazine of someone uh, that used that and called them Tucker's Kobolds, right? And so I think that that yeah. campaign you're talking about was like an expansion on that idea. Interesting. Let me throw up. Okay, there's there's two comments from our, our great patron uh, Joshua Macy that I've got to put up, and uh, here's the first one, Paul. Joshua mm -hmm. says the scale of giants is a problem to me as far as the damage they do and take. It doesn't seem to add up. Maybe it's just the square cube thing. We almost made it. We almost made it to the episode without bringing up the square cube. <laughs> oh, <darn it. laughs> I I said to Paul before the show started, I said, what are the chances that the square cube law is going to come up? And Paul was like, what? That won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, okay. a whole, there's a whole article, right? There's multiple articles in Dragon Magazine about the issue about how much do giants weigh versus how tall they are. In, in, as early as Dragon number 13, there's an article called How Heavy Is My Giant? And it has a whole big table about the size of this should be this weight, right? And there is an issue with the square cube law. And they actually talk about it is admittedly like giants aren't portrayed as being like elephant thick, right? In order for an animal as big as an elephant to, to, to walk around on land, it's got to be enormously thick. And giants aren't displayed like that. And then I believe the author points out, hey, wait a minute, you know, at least as a first edition, cloud giants can levitate. And storm giants can levitate. So maybe giants have some kind of uh, racial uh, levitation magic that increases the bigger the giants get. And that solves the problem, the square cube law, and why giants can walk around because they have magical semi levitation magic. All right. right? Problem solved. Right. QED. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this is this is how we go down the road of the 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 physics of how does a dragon fly, and I just I, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it to me. I just I'm not interested in this discussion. Okay, <laughs> you guys can debate it all you want. Whatever. Giants are big people. I'm happy with that. The end. 
<laughs> just that, for some reason, the thing about, about the levitation point does live rent free in my head, actually, oddly. So I, that actually, whenever time giants come up, that actually does. And, and one other thing, okay, so maybe a more serious question from Joshua, because um, uh, he, and caught, there was a little bit of conversation about this in the chat. He was asking, when did dwarves get a bonus against giants? Uh, was it just the bonus damage from the war, the magic warhammer in OD&D? Um, and that was always there, even in chainmail. Right, even in pre D and D chainmail, one of the main things is that dwarves uh, have uh, damage resistance. It's even more than it showed up in D and D. They just take half damage from the giant class. I mean, half okay, half damage from large creatures like ogres and trolls and giants. So that that was always there as one of the interesting things about dwarves. And is that a, is that a Tolkienian thing? Don't know. I don't know. Where does that? What is the origin of that? Line? But that's like you know. That's almost the first thing that is said about dwarves. Actually, I do. I do have chainmail right here. Here's here's the here's here's the first two sentences about dwarves ever written for D and D type stuff. It says because their natural habitat is deep under the ground, these stout folk operate equally well in day or night. Okay, so they see in the dark. And the second thing is. Although they are no threat to the larger creatures, trolls, ogres, and giants, find them hard to catch because of their small size. So they count only one half normal kills when dwarves fight them. That's literally the second thing that's said about dwarves in uh, classic D&D literature. Hmm. And honestly, it's something I struggle with a little bit because you know taking half damage, that's really big. When it shows up later in first edition, it's only like plus one AC or something like that, which is not a big deal. So uh, sometimes in the past, I've actually struggled with the big shift between uh, huge uh, defensive bonus versus fairly small one that shows up in D and D. And I try to, I actually try to uh, bolster that a little bit um, to make that dwarven ability more more uh, important in my games. Plus four, I guess, okay, Disparal's saying it's plus four AC. I think it's lower in, um, I think it's, maybe I'm thinking of basic where it's lower. Thank you for that. My basic right here, let me see if it tells me. Uh, we are, you know, uh, we're running the clock here. We shouldn't really go down. Yeah, sorry about that. I, I thought, I, and that's a question that I've wrestled with, so I, I, I wanted to address it, and thank you for bringing it up. Yep, 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 yep. Um, okay. Okay. Nope. I'm not going to sit here and read this. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to wrap it up. Um, Dan, any final thoughts on giants? They're great. They're great. I mean, in some, in some regard, they're the first monster in some respect. They're the first monster in D and D they're, they're, they're kind of the most obvious thing. Just grab, if you're still playing with miniatures, just grab a different scale miniature. Bam. You have your first fantasy monster. Um, nope. you know, they're, they're rich because they're, you know, they're real in the sense of real world mythology. Every culture has stories about giants and they can be smaller, they can be bigger, they can be a, they can be a world building element. Many mythologies have giants as the very first race from which everything else is descended. That should be part of your world building, I think. And, you know, they have legitimate minds and language and cultures and places that's a, that, that can be as rich as any as any you know group of people, and so I think that it makes for an enormously rich uh, you know opposition force for your player characters, and you can have an entire culture and places and countries 
of uh, giants, and they are possibly my favorite monster type. They're great. Amazing. Amazing. So, yeah. um, great, great. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating item. Hmm. Hmm. I, I admit, I've, I've played with them very little myself. Um, very little. They, they, I think, as you mentioned, they appear in the modern monster charts. I've had them show up in wilderness. I would say they're the most frequent monster type that my players would just outright flee from. Just, nope, oh, they're big, big, big guys standing on a hill throwing rocks at us. Forget it. Peace out. No, we're not facing that. Uh, which is fascinating. I don't know what it is that's so terrifying about that, but like giant flying lizard that breathes fire, that's fine. We'll fight that. But uh, a, a person twice my size throwing boulders? No, thanks. Um it's know, one of those things where it's very there. concrete, right? It's very concrete, <laughs> and you have a visceral—you have a visceral feeling in your in your body of what it's like to get hit by a large object, right? <laughs> you know. So, whereas, and the more fantastic you make it, the more the more the little bit of disconnected it comes from your daily experience, and you don't have that visceral like what it what it really feels like in your body for that to happen. Uh, you know, we've we've fought off smaller creatures, and we know what that kind of situation is like. And uh, you know, big big people maybe, are uh, are scary, right? And maybe, just maybe, somewhere deep in the recesses of our memories, we all can remember, maybe very dimly, a time oh! when everyone in the world was twice the size as us. <sighs> That's so great, Paul. That is so. That is so great. That's oh, oh. I'm glad you. I'm glad you fit that in. That's a great observation. Now I wish we had a whole hour just talking about that. What a great observation that is, right? I'll tell you. I. I you know my grandfather used to have a goose that at one point was taller than me, and I'd come onto his property, and the goose was really aggressive, and he'd come at me, and man, I know exactly what it's like to be chased by a T Rex. Absolutely. <laughs> fascinating all right folks yeah. that is all the time we have um if you have any thoughts on using giants in your DD campaign any experiences of other other uh, modules or thoughts of interesting tactics such as scooping up your pcs in a sack and flinging them against a wall uh that maybe we could use with our giants uh, post them here in the comments of the video we'd love to hear from you uh, maybe that'll spin off future discussions about other uh interesting monsters or tactics for us yeah, I think we just scratched the surface on this. What a great topic, actually. And of course, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us. And we are on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and also TikTok. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all of the sites. So look for us there, please. If you prefer to listen to us in audio-only format, uh, you can find our podcast uh, on our site at wanderingdms.com. Also through various podcast carriers, such as Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. If you're listening to us on one of those sites, please take a moment to rate and review us on that site. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. And of course, huge thanks to our patrons who support the show and join the chat every Sunday. Uh, we are so appreciative. And if you'd like to join our generous patrons, please visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs, and you'll see our different tiers, discounts on merch, access to a private Discord server, a whole bunch of other stuff. And our favorite thing every week is our after-party chat uh, that will be happening on Discord where we continue the discussion by a live video. We'll be there in about 10 minutes. So uh, if you haven't uh, joined us uh, before, uh, we would we would love to see you there and continue the chat. Um, sure. We're both here today, right? Yes, Paul? Yep, yep, yep. I'll see you in the Great. chat. Okay.
Great. Uh, don't forget, uh, so I'll be back on Thursday night uh, as I hopefully do a slightly better job of struggling through AD&D Pool of Radiance because last Thursday I was a little bit embarrassed by uh, some mistakes that I made. That's fine. Going to do a better job, right? Going to get back on that horse. Play more Pool of Radiance this Thursday, and hopefully I'll finally get through the slums. And, uh, and of course, we will be back next Sunday. I don't know. Maybe we'll be talking about goose trauma next Sunday. Maybe we'll be talking about <laughs> dinosaurs or something like that. But anyway, whatever it is, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.